50 in your pew Bibles. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Tonight's second reading will be from Exodus chapter 40, verses 16 to 38, and that can be found on page 70. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected, erected the flame frames, inserted the crossbars and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent, as the Lord commanded him. He took the testimony and placed it in the ark, attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the testimony, as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord, as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord, as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it, as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain and the en at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offerings near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings, as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of, the meet of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, and Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard, and so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Hey guys, <clears throat> good to see you, although the back row I can just about see. 
sitting back there in the half dark. A couple of things have been on my mind over the last two weeks and um, I thought I would join, join them together tonight. The first is um, the Football World Cup, the Soccer World Cup. I have missed hours of sleep uh, enjoying that. And the other thing that's been on my mind is the presence of God. <laughs> because we've been going through the book of Exodus and as I read the scriptures, I just keep noticing more and more references to the presence of God. So how do these two things come together? Well, being in the presence of greatness. Um, football greats, who I have been in the presence of, let me tell you a story. Um, when I finished playing soccer, when I was 44, because my body would no longer cope, uh, our team had just been put up from second division to first division. This was uh, over 35. So they needed to recruit more people. I became the water boy because <laughs> I couldn't play. But one of the guys who was recruited, because it was Forrest Kalani, was uh, a guy named Robbie Slater. Now, if you're, if you're a soccer fan, that name should ring a bell because Robbie Slater played for the Socceroos. He played for Northern Spirit. He played overseas for about 10 seasons in a couple of different clubs. And here he was in our team. And I couldn't play. I told everybody that I was replaced by Robbie Slater. They had to go, you know, they had to go big to get someone to replace me. No, I was, I was awestruck. The fact that he was in our team. But then as we started playing other teams, Graham Arnold, you know him? He's been national coach of the Socceroos. He was playing in another team. And another guy named Alan Hunter, who was also a Socceroo. So there are all these guys. Uh, and it was awesome. Even though I wasn't able to play, I could, I could see these guys and, and enjoy their, their skill. So here's my segue. There is no uh, story that can cap the story of the greatness of living in God's presence. And that's what we've been looking at. And actually, that's the way God has designed us, to live in the presence of greatness, to live in his presence. Uh, if you know the story of, of uh, the first few chapters of Genesis, which you probably do, you know that the man and the woman, uh, Adam and Eve, walked in the cool of the day with the Lord God in the garden. They walked with God. Amazing. But it's not long, it's only up to chapter 3 of Genesis, where we see that the man and the woman actually fall short of God's standard. They disobey uh, his only command and they are cast out of God's presence because of their, their sinfulness. And the story of the scriptures is... How does a, a, a holy and righteous God bring sinful people back into his presence? That's, that's really the theme running throughout the Bible. And when we get to the book of Exodus, we are right there at the beginning of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to see uh, exactly what God has put in place in order that ordinary sinful human beings might actually be able to enter into his presence. So we see that in Exodus, but as we go through the Bible, we, get, we then get to the New Testament and see how Jesus has come 
in fulfilment to that old covenant and now it's through Jesus that we can enter into the presence of God because he's dealt with our sinfulness. But we only experience that in part now. We have the down payment, if you like. We have God's Holy Spirit within us and we can have personal dealings with God. But we look forward to that day when Jesus returns, when we will actually see him face to face. Not like we're going back to the Garden of Eden. We're going forward to something that is even more glorious. And uh, the end of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 21 uh, verse 2 says this. This is um, the Apostle John explaining a vision that he has of the future when Christ returns. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So he sees this kind of image. Jerusalem is the people of God. It's all uh, believers through all time. And, and there we are presented to Christ uh, as his bride. And then John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't that amazing? That is the future that God has in store for us. He had it in mind right from from Genesis, but even before that, from before the creation of the world, he had this in mind. We are destined to live in God's presence through Jesus Christ. And uh, Moses, in the, the book of Exodus, through that old covenant, gives us a, 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 an understanding, another angle on how to see that and how to be encouraged by the reality of that, of living in God's presence. So Exodus chapter 40 is the final chapter of the, the uh, creation of the tabernacle and the setting up of the system for the old covenant. Everything's about to be constructed. Uh, all the details have been followed. Uh, the ceremonies have been carried out. And we read in uh, Exodus 40 verse 16, Moses did just as the Lord commanded him uh, in the NIV reading it was Moses did as the Lord commanded him the Bible I was using says just as the Lord commanded him but it's the same idea and we want to see uh, see that ref refrain again and again did you notice at the end of most of those paragraphs as we as we did the reading they said and Moses did this as the Lord commanded him he set up the tent of meeting just as the Lord commanded him verse 16 he set up the ark of the covenant verse 21 just as the lord commanded him verse 23 moses set up the 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 bread and the things in the the holy place just as the lord commanded him then again in verse 25 27 29 32 moses did everything just as the lord commanded him do you get the idea he was following the very details that uh, god had given to him now why do you think that God um, had such detailed instructions? Why did God go into all those measurements that we've, that we've looked at, all those different coloured um, fabrics and the, being woven together in a special way, all the stuff that the priests had to wear and the ceremonies that you had to do when you came to, the, uh, to give a sin offering and then 
and then the consecration of the priests, all those details. Why did God give so many details? Is he one of those guys who, you know, when you open his socks and undies drawer, everything is lined up? No, God is a God of, who is the creator God, is the God of detail. You look at our creation, our world, and you're amazed. Even if you are a details person, you see that you haven't even got a, a start on the complexity and the wonder and the details of creation. God is showing his nature. God is showing that he is the creator God, the God of order. And Moses obeys him and does everything just as God had commanded him. But it also shows us that it is God, not us, who decides the system or the, the means and the way in which we approach him. It is God who sets um, the rules. It is God who makes a way for us to know him. We can't just decide to do our own thing. In fact, if we do that, that's quite deadly. If we ignore God's instructions and try and do things on our own, and we won't go into that. But God has made this system. And if Moses and the people followed that system, then they would dwell in God's presence, just as God intended them to. And God would accept them and would live with them. And we see that, that when Moses did everything that God commanded him, what's the result? In um, chapter 40, verse 34, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay, so the cloud is the, is the symbolic presence of God. And that's what the whole purpose has been, uh, to, to allow God to dwell in the pres in sorry to allow human beings to dwell in the presence of God. And we know that God doesn't change. Just as God gave Moses instructions according to the old covenant of what to do to ensure God's presence, God gives us instructions even today through the new covenant as to what we should do to ensure that we also live in God's presence. So the symbolism of the tabernacle teaches us that God's a personal God, that God actually spoke with Moses and gave him commandments. The New Testament covenant shows us not just that God is a personal God, it shows us that God is a person. And Jesus Christ came, and John says in chapter 1, verse 4, that he came and tabernacled with us, which meant, you know, Dwelt is how, that's, how it's translated, but the word is actually the same word for the tabernacle. So God uh, has turned up in person. He is a personal God. He speaks. He has become a human being. And we can, we can uh, know his word. The Old Testament shows the holiness of God and, and how serious uh, sin really is and how a blood sacrifice is needed to atone for sin and, and all this the instructions of the sacrificing of the animals and all of that are, are a reminder of the seriousness of sin. Now in the New Testament, we have that same reminder, don't we? Blood is needed to overcome or to atone for sin. And Jesus, again, is the one who gives his blood, who gives his life 
for our sins so that we can be forgiven and know God's presence. God saves according to his, his plan in the tabernacle in Exodus and as we get to the new covenant in the, the plan that he has in Jesus Christ. And we need to know that plan in Jesus Christ in order that we might be able to follow as Moses did and do all that God has commanded us so that we can live in his presence and uh, know his presence with us. So Jesus, the Old Testament uh, covenant points towards Jesus. And as we've been reading Hebrews each week in parallel, I hope that you've seen those themes reinforced, that Jesus is the one who is the great high priest. Jesus is the one who is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the one who all of those different um, symbols point to from the Old Testament. So the coming of Jesus was always in, in God's mind before the beginning of time in order to, to bring people into his presence, sinful people. It would be through Jesus. And I think there's, this is a great summary verse from the New Testament from Paul's first letter to Timothy. Um, Paul, the older man, telling Timothy, his young apprentice, these, these great words in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, There is only one God. There is only one God and one mediator between God and humankind, the man, Jesus Christ. You got that? There is only one God and there is only one way to God. And that is through Jesus Christ. This is what makes Christian faith unique. God Almighty, through Jesus Christ and Christ alone, can uh, receive people like you and me into his presence. We don't have to go to a particular place to worship God. We don't have to go to a building or to a system. And that's great, isn't it? That reminds us <clears throat> we left the building up the road at Balgala, we didn't leave God there. Okay, God is with his people. You don't find God in buildings. But we're building that building because we want to help more people to know God. But the effectiveness of that will only be as effective as we, the people who live in that building, are prepared to know God. You see, the building is not going to convert anyone. The building is going to give us opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. So it is only through the presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus, that we can actually um, know God and enter his presence. Now I want to say to you, um, these words are quite encouraging to us that there is only one God and only one way to God through Jesus, but most people in the world think these words are offensive. Many people in Australia think these words are offensive. Uh, quite a few years ago, a clergyman came to me, not an Anglican clergyman, but another denomination, and uh, he wanted to know why I was against the Baha'i group praying at, a, at an Easter assembly at a school. He was shocked 
that I would have a problem with that. And I actually said, well, there's only one God that we can pray to, and that is through Jesus. So the God the Baha'is are praying to, I don't know who, who that is, but I know that, that you know, this, we're celebrating Easter here. The, the very centre of the Christian faith of how Christ has died for us and saved us. And this guy said, well, that's not the only way. You know, other religions lead to God as well. How many of you have heard that? That's the popular thinking today, isn't it? You, you Christian, you say that there is only one way to God. How elitist do you think you really are? And, and, and more than that, you're, you're a bigot because you, you won't accept other people's opinions and faith. And, and more than that, you're actually creating violence because you're opposed to people and you're discriminating against people. And that's a bad thing. That's what many people in our own country and in our own city and our own suburbs think when we say there is only one God and one mediator between God and the human race, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. Um, just to uh, show this growing hostility, I had a little look at um, a survey conducted by McCrindle Research. I don't know if you know McCrindle Research. You do excellent stuff. They did a research last year into faith and belief in Australia. And they had a whole list of questions um, asking people to choose a response that best described their current attitude towards Christianity. And there were about 10 different um, things they could choose. Two of the things were chosen by 20% of the people. So uh, this is what 20% of the people of Australia said about their attitude towards Christianity. I have strong reservations about Christianity and I have no interest in it. And then the second one is, I am passionately opposed to Christianity. One in five people in Australia. Okay? That's where we live. That's where we live and that's, that is what people think. So how do we actually stand up and speak out as Christians with a sensitivity and, and a wisdom that actually gets a hearing? Well, let me say, if we don't dwell in God's presence... We have no chance. We have no chance. We need daily to know the presence of God through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the transforming holiness of God and the obedience of, that, that comes through faith in God. On a brighter side, same research, McCrindle research, um, Talk, asking people about what would attract them to investigate spirituality and religion and he found that 61% of Australians stated that the greatest attraction to investigating spirituality and religion is observing people who live out a genuine faith. No. Isn't that, 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 that makes sense, doesn't it? Over 60% 60 60 of people want to know that what you say you believe actually works that you actually do what you say, that you're consistent. And how are we ever going to be consistent in living out the Christian life? Only if we know the presence of God in our lives. 
We can't do that on our own. We can't just you know, whip up and be good moral people. We will always fall short. But if we know uh, the presence of God in our life, then we have a chance to show what genuine faith is all about. People in Australia may be anti, um, or some people may be anti-Christianity, but there's a whole group of people who are just longing to see Christians live a genuine Christian life. And how do we do that? We do it by living in the presence of God, and I think it's important for us to say that living in the presence of God isn't achieved by knowing more about God. It's not achieved by studying the Bible more. There's nothing wrong with Bible study. It's, it's excellent. But the presence of God is achieved by doing what you already know from the Bible. You want to grow in your understanding of the Bible? Do what you already know God is telling you to do and then you will learn new things as you read the Bible and you will go to greater uh, depths of intimacy with God and you will have much more of an impact on the people around you. Do you know that this... Uh, simple concept of living in the presence of God, of Christian people living genuine Christian lives, is the only hope for our nation. Do you believe that? In my own, in my own time as a, as, a, as a Christian, from being in primary school where we had prayers and sang hymns every morning in a public school, to a place where it's getting harder and harder to even have a presence in public schools. We are so fortunate in, in, in New South Wales, you cannot do that in Victoria or Queensland. The only hope for our nation, for us to be able to continue as Christians and for you to be able to, to share your Christian faith with your children without fear of any reprisal, is for us to live in the presence of God and make an impact on our on our. Uh, on our nation who are longing to see genuine Christian people. So the focus of Moses' life of uh, living in God's presence was achieved by doing all that the Lord commanded him. And the same focus is, is for us today. God gives us the same invitation. In Jesus Christ, he has made it possible for us to come into his presence through the blood of Jesus. And we grow deeper into his presence by doing all that the Lord has commanded us. So will you, will you make that the focus of your life? Will you do that? Make sure that we do all that the Lord has commanded us to do. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are present with us because you love us and because you have made a way for us to, to enter in by the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us to draw closer and closer to you as we do all those things that you tell us to do in the scriptures. And Lord, help us to, to live out that genuine faith that only can come by your presence by your Holy Spirit within us. And Lord, as we do that, we look forward to that future that the Bible pictures of you dwelling with your people in eternity. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you've really enjoyed uh, this series that we've been looking at, Living in God's Presence.